You're going to need both hands. And I want you to do something with me. I want you to first point up. Everybody point up. Now, some of you are going, I am not going to do this. You cannot make me do this. But I'm going to ask you, come on, everybody, point up. Now, point in and then point out. That's your mission. We want to make disciples. We've received great blessings in Jesus. I, I may have told you this. I am so many different churches I don't remember. But I sat in this chair, and right behind me at a funeral was the wife of a bank officer that had a cerebral hemorrhage and died in a bank meeting. So on this side were all his close co-workers, and on this side was the family. And next to her was a special needs son that was about 21. And then next to him was another family member, and the rest of her family members surrounded her. And as we sang different songs, and we sang all the music in, this, in the funeral, we sang six songs from six different centuries. The most modern of the modern to the oldie, oldie, classical-sounding songs. And when we sang, Blessed Be the Name of the Lord, this woman who had just lost her husband in his early 50s with all the things on top of her in front of everyone else, and the preacher on the front row couldn't sing because he had tears streaming down her. She stood there and said, You give and take away. You give and take away. And then she said, blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, how could she say that? Because somebody had made her a disciple, had led her to Jesus. And her life had been centered in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And so had her husband's. And because of that, she was certain of two things. One is that his life was secure with God and she would join him someday. And the second is the inward arrows that the family around her would support her. So when we talk about making disciples, we're not talking about our work. We're talking about leading people to God and Jesus. So we make, we mature. Do it with me. We make, we mature, we grow together in God's family and then we multiply. Up, in, out. It's the movement of grace. It's always been the movement of grace. God blesses. And then we come together to recognize that blessing. And we leave. We move out to share the gospel. And so that's why we're in this little series. Because as we're in this 40 days of prayer, God has orchestrated a bunch of things going on. Uh, Bruce has the youth talking about the importance of baptism. That's a great thing. Our small groups that Tony has influenced, they're looking at what it means to be a disciple, some of the discipleship materials. Uh, Brad Thomas is talking today in the class at the far end of the hall, and he's focused on how do you start a conversation with folks that eventually leads to Jesus. doesn't matter what the subject is, but you can get there if you follow the leading of the Spirit and listen to the person you're talking to. So there's a lot of things going on, and today we're t 
taking that next step. Last week, we reminded ourselves, in your hearts, revere Christ Jesus as Lord. And when we revere Christ Jesus as Lord, when we make that move up, then our desire is to have folks join us. So we're going to always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks us for the reason for our hope. But we're going to do it with gentleness and respect. We're not trying to hustle somebody to accept Jesus. We're inviting somebody to go on the journey with us to live for Jesus as a follower, a disciple. Well, our first response often to that is, well, I'm not any kind of big important person. I don't have that bigger reason for the hope I have. But if you've been going along with our 40 days of prayer, those little paragraphs are all reasons for hope. Now, they're focused on what it means for folks to be a part of this church, but that's a big part of the reason for our hope is our family. So we don't have to be an important Bible character because, after all, they were just characters that were alive when Jesus and the Bible were written down. But Paul reminds us that no matter who we think we are, when we look in the mirror, no matter how messed up we are, the less hair I get, the wilder it looks in the morning. Anybody join me in that? Until it's just completely worn off, it's just wild in the morning. And, and uh, I am a mess when I look at myself in the morning. But I have to remember this. We are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God planned before us a long time ago to do. We have God's signature on us. We have certain strengths, interests, and gifts that only we have. And that opens the door for us to serve in ways that nobody else can. Those strengths, interests, and gifts are things that define us and God uses to refine us. So we've got a story to tell nobody else can tell. But once we told that story, what do we do? If somebody says, why do you do all this church stuff? And we give a reason for our where, where do we go next? What's the next thing we talk about? Well, one of the things that I like to help folks do is to be able to tell uh, a big story of Jesus. But to tell that story, we've got to have somebody to tell it to. So you remember our punchline last week were these three things. Pray for three to find your one. Pray for three people each day while we're in this 40 days of prayer and beyond. Pray for three people specifically. And then... One of these days, one of those folks is going to ask you for the reason for your hope or God's going to give you an opportunity. And you're going to tell them your story with a kiss. It doesn't have to be dramatic. Now, I warned you last week that I was going to ask you for your three. You remember that? Some of you are going, no, I don't remember that. Well, I said it. I said it three times. Okay? I was going to ask you who the three people were you are committed to pray for every day. So, see that little phone number up there? It's different than the one we started with when I first asked you to text me a couple of months ago. This is a new number. But if you've got three, you can put their names down or you can just say, got my three. But I want to hear from you. Okay? So it's okay to pick up your phone and text me right now during the sermon. I hope 
my little phone buzzes and I have a hard time looking at the Bible because it keeps popping up. I don't have any of your names and addresses tied to your phone number on this phone. So you're safe. I just want to know some folks are committed to do this. Because if we're not committed to do this, then basically, basically, our mission is a joke. And it's just words. And I'm not interested, and your leadership's not interested, to put some jello on the wall shaped in the molds of letters that say a mission. But they want the heart of the people to move in concert with God. So here are my three. I told you who they were, but I didn't give you their names. So here are my three. Jason and Debbie are a couple from Taiwan. Donna and I do friends speak with them every Wednesday night. And I want you to pray for them. Because I'm going to go over and... Uh, with them Wednesday night, what I'm about to go over with you is a way to share God's big story. That's where we are in our uh, discussion and our relationship. And then the third guy is the guy that built my house, and we become buddies. Now, that's almost a miracle if you've ever built a house from scratch, and your general contractor and you are friends enough that you want him to go to church with you. That's a pretty much a miracle. Uh, but... Uh, uh, we're going to be hunting buddies, and I hope eventually it'll take a while because uh, he's got some he's got some church burns from uh, Knuckle Buster Baptist Church he grew up in. He's got some alleys, and he's not real big on church, but he's a good guy. So I want you to just know I've got my three, so I want to know your three, or at least that you have threes. All right, now why is that important? And what do I do? With these three, after I've got them, where do I go? Well, let me tell you a little story about why this is important, because I haven't seen a lot of you texting me yet, and so I'm going to just give you a little more time, and I'm going to tread water and just say, text me if you've got your three, and if they come to you any time during the sermon, just throw them up there. Last night, I got to witness a 95-year-old lady baptized into Christ and her face was beaming and next to her and the guy that did the baptism was a big guy and next to him in the water was the 90 year old lady who had been praying for God to show her her one and she had begun to talk to this lady about Jesus and this is what she said in the water. I don't know why no one ever told me that I could share with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection and know I have eternal life. But she did. And that's why I want to be baptized. It's important that we pray for three so that God can show us our one and it makes a difference. But what do we share? What do we say? How do we explain the Bible? Because it's a big book, and it's actually a library of books, and I'm trying to get my... I just There we go. Well, you've heard a little of my story. That's where I start with, folks. You've heard a little of my story and what's important to me. So let me share you 
with you God's big story. And I'm doing this just like it's on a napkin, just like I do it with people. Okay, so it's not going to be all neat and tidy slides. It's just going to be simple handwriting. So what is that big story of God? I'm going to need some help back there. Let's advance that slides, see if we can do it. I want you, on the back of your little sermon notes, it's blank, I want you to write three words. And I've used these three words in a jillion different ways to tell the story a jillion different ways. But this is God's big story. Broken, bridge, and blessing. Just write down those three words. Broken, bridge, and blessing. And I've written it on napkins, and I've written it on the back of receipts for a restaurant, and I've even had them write it on their hands so they can go home and remember it. But that's what we're going to take time to do. Let's go to the next slide. What does it mean to be broken? Some of you know what it means to be broken. But I want you to think for a minute, what in our world testifies that it's broken? What's broken about our world? I want you to turn somebody right quick. I'm going to give you 20 seconds. Tell them something that's broken with the world that you recognize. Just turn to them and tell them something that's broken. All right, one, two, three, go. Got 20 seconds. What's broken about our world? It's kind of hard to summarize what's broken with the world in 20 seconds, isn't it? Doesn't fit. All right, let's break it down into three categories and let's see if you fit any of these categories. Guys, my clicker is not doing anything. I think it's out of juice. So let's advance this. Advance it. No, we got to go. Don't tell me the stuff's not. Well, I, just go back a slide. Go back a slide. All right, let's just talk about what's broken. There's categories of what's broken. Some of them have to do with our universe. Our universe is broken. So there's natural disasters, right? How many of you put natural disasters? Something that testifies about our broken world. Maybe after the storms blow through tonight, you might have that one higher on your list. Or if you had an earthquake like we had about a year ago and it was in Oklahoma and it shook our apartment in Dallas and we go what was that but a second thing is what's going on in our relationships right the troubles that we have with people we can't get along we fuss and fight there's marriage difficulties there's political difficulties there's racial uh Uh, uncertainties and difficulties there's brokenness in relationships between people and then the biggest one right now is religion right because you've got radicals in one religion that wants to kill everybody else that's not a part of their religion and that's been going on for years so when you look at our world it's broken and it's broken in every way okay good you're advancing those uh so when, when you talk about disasters, the things that are going on in our world, when you talk about uh, the religious differences, you see brokenness. And when you look at people, you see brokenness. Things are broken in every way. But when you wake up early in the morning and you see a new sunrise and it's painted fresh every day and it's different... 
Or you see a newborn baby wrap his or her fingers around your big finger. Or when you look into the heavens on a clear night and you're out away from the the city and you see the stars that you never knew were there and it's far back into the darkness as you can peer you can see there's even more stars there is something in our world that testifies it was not intended to be broken let's bring up that next build on the slide see there's there's hints that there's something more to our world that something is good here let's bring up the next one and when we Look at our own hearts. There is this longing for God. One of the great uh, physicists and scientists of uh, five uh, centuries ago, considered one of the smartest men in his era, said there's a God-shaped hole in all of us. The deeper I peer into science and the deeper I peer into mathematics, the more I long to fill that hole in me with the one that designed it all. There's that sense of longing. There's beauty. There's beauty in the natural things of the world. There's beauty in people. There's beauty in music. There's beauty in art. And it testifies to somebody behind this. And then there's love. And love is irrational. It doesn't make sense. It scares us to death sometimes. It, it seems to be uh, a force that takes control and overrides our minds and it calls us to do crazy but wonderful things. I mean, let's be real. Who would volunteer to have somebody crawl inside them and live for nine months? That's nuts. But love brings forth a child. And the risk of the mother to carry that child. When you're a dad, you would do anything to protect your family. No matter what it costs you. Love does that. Those speak to something more. And they speak to that Genesis 131 where God said, I made this very good, but it's now broken because of sin and rebellion, because of people. But the real question is, how do we build a bridge back to God? If we can't get to God because of our brokenness, how how does this ever get healed? And I want you to think about something. Because every one of us gets in a mess in our life. And maybe you're not in one right now. And and we're thankful you're not. But uh, others are. And... And and that mess can be because of financial mismanagement or it could be because of marriage difficulties or it could be because you want to get pregnant and you can't get pregnant. Or it could be you got pregnant and you weren't supposed to be at this stage of your life and you're scared to death. Or it could be that you've been told you've got a terminal disease. Or it could be a kid worried about the spiritual well-being of a parent or a parent worried about the spiritual well-being of a kid. And if you think about it a minute, it's our brokenness that has brought us here, isn't it? Because God saw our brokenness and he came to our world to lead us back to what is very good. How do we get back to the goodness that God intended for us? God so loved the world that he 
gave. He gave his only son so that whosoever believes in him should not perish. What's the next verse? You remember the next verse? For God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. Jesus came to be the bridge back to the goodness that God wanted us to have. That's the story. And so when you think about Jesus, isn't that what he did? Think about the woman caught in adultery. What's the answer that woman needs? It's Jesus. And they bring this woman before Jesus, and they throw her at his feet, and now all the people in her community know she's an adulteress, that she's messed up her family, she's messed up somebody else's family, and that under law she deserves death. Under their law. And then Jesus says, well, let the person without sin cast the first stone. And starting with the oldest to the youngest, they all drop their rocks and they go home. That's what they do. And now it's just Jesus and the woman. And what does Jesus say? Woman, where are your accusers? Neither do I condemn you, but go and leave your life of sin. He's the bridge back. And you just follow story after story that you know in the Gospels. Isn't that the same thing that happens with the woman at the well? You can't be more broken than have five men divorce you. Because she didn't have the right to divorce. Five men had divorced her, and the guy that she's living with now won't even give her the dignity of his last name. And she comes in the heat of the day, in the scorching heat, all by herself to the well. And he says, listen, if you come to me, I'll give you water that will quench your real thirst. What did she need? Not condemnation. She needed a bridge back to grace, back to God. And Jesus did that. You can t- tell the same story with Zacchaeus. You can tell the same story with uh, the wild man that's full of demons in Mark 5. It repeats itself over and over and over. God so loved the world that he didn't send a book The Bible is not our hope. It's the testimony to our hope. We don't worship the Bible. We worship Jesus. The Bible is not our only way to salvation. Jesus is our only way to salvation. In fact, the early apostles said that Jesus is the only name by which we must be saved. They didn't say the Bible or the Scriptures. Now, scriptures are important. We're not downplaying that, but I want just to be clear. God so loved the world, he didn't send a book, and he didn't send a religion, and he didn't send a philosophy, because most of us are not going to ever spend four or five years studying philosophy. And most of us are not going to ever be experts on religion. And some of us don't even like to read. That's why we're thankful there are books on tape, or now you can get audible. And you can listen on the highway while you're uh, going someplace. But when a person steps into our life that's important and we connect, it's all the difference in the world. So God sent Jesus. God sent Jesus to be our bridge back to all that's very good. And that's the central story of the Bible. The final piece is blessing. 
And God's blessing comes to us as we respond to Jesus, and it involves two pieces. And we only usually talk about one. In our elevator theology, we talk about the blessing of the promise of life forever with God, right? We talk about eternal life as if it's something that's way down the road, but we don't talk much about what we're supposed to do between now and then. So a lot of Christian theology is come get saved and wait for Jesus to take you to heaven, and we're all like this, standing in front of the elevator waiting for the door to open so we can go up. But God didn't just love us enough to give us a promise. Jesus not only gave us a promise, he gave us a purpose. And so if there's a promise of life forever, there's also a purpose for life now. And that purpose for life now is to be a blessing to others. That's why the leadership of your church family talk about making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. Because we want folks to share in this blessing. We receive a blessing to share that blessing. Because we don't want anybody else to miss God's goodness. Now you can tell that story a jillion different ways and you can tell it shorter. You can make it in a little short elevator talk. If folks want to talk more. But just remember broken bridge and blessing. But the bigger question this morning is, why do you believe? Because you see, we've had some of our own kids come to Christ recently, and we've had some of our own friends connected from the community come to Christ. We did it because we wanted to share that blessing. But what do you believe? Where are you? Are you living in the blessing? Are you wrestling with the broken? Well, if you go to 1 Corinthians 15, and I want you to look at that right quick. So everybody turn to 1 Corinthians 15. I'm not going to read it to you. We're going to just hit some high, high points so I can get finished somewhere close to on time. But 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is emphatic. He says, this is what you believed. By this you were saved. This is what I passed on to you as of first importance. This is what was passed on to me. This is what you've taken your stand in life on. He can't jump up and down and go, hey, notice, this is what salvation is about any more than he does in that one passage. He says, this is the gospel. What is that gospel? Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. And if you go to the end of the chapter, he says, because of this, our life is not lived in vain. So if you look at it, he uses the same three things. Christ died. He's our bridge for our sins. What's broken? Christ died and was raised for our blessing. And so we could be a blessing. And our life is not in vain. Now, when you go over to Romans 6, this is what the lady, 95-year-old lady last night, was wondering why nobody had ever told her. If the gospel we're saved by, so clearly defined in 1 Corinthians 15, is that Christ died and was buried and was raised, the question is, how do we participate in that by faith? 
And you look at Romans 6, 3 through 7, and that's exactly a reflection. We're not baptized because it's a step necessary to salvation. That's going to make some people upset. But understand, that phrase is never used in Scripture. Baptism is never called a step. The other side of that, and that's the church Christ thing, the Baptists or uh, evangelicals have said, baptism is an outward symbol of an inner faith. Baptism never called a symbol. It's not a symbol, and it's not a step. Let's use biblical language. Why is baptism important? Because it's where we participate, where we join in the gospel that saves us. Christ died for our sins. In baptism, we die with Christ. We're buried to the old life, and it's gone. And we're raised to walk a new life. That's the story. So the question this morning is, where are you in the story? Because our world is broken, and we get broken because of it. But we don't have to stay there. Jesus is our bridge back home. And just like what the woman caught in adultery and the woman at the well and Zacchaeus and the wild men in Mark 5 all needed, they didn't need a book and they didn't need a religion and they didn't need a philosophy. They needed a Savior. They needed Jesus. God was skin on. And this morning, we want you to know he's already died. So the real question is, will you believe in that and participate in it and share in his blessing? as we stand and sing.